Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Hebrews chapter 12. It was so fitting that Brother Matson preached out of Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, so I'm just going to go ahead and follow a little further down the Bible, Brother Matson. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1. And I'm going to only read the first couple of verses. Verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. <gasps> Did he say sin? You can't preach sin anymore. That's wrong. It offends people. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame that he experienced, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You can be seated this morning. This past week was an interesting week. Events in history took place. There were many news stories, lots of things going on. Some people took it one way and some people took it another way. Doesn't matter to me. I serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm a member of the apostolic faith. I'm moving forward with what God has for us to do. We're on a mission, right? Anybody remember that? We're on a mission. But I want to speak to you this morning about a message that God gave me through this process leading up. It's been sort of a succession. But I want to talk to you today about confounding captivity. Confounding captivity. You see, a lot of people believe, and I've heard the words and I've heard it passed around, we've lost our republic. A few days ago on, what was it, Tuesday? I don't even know. Tuesday, was that the day things kind of turned around? Was it Wednesday? Whatever whatever day. Doesn't matter. People said we lost our republic. Socialism is taking over. All these political things that I try to just forget about, stay away from. And I thought about that for a minute. And I want to share something with you that I feel like God gave me. I've, I've expressed this with a couple of people. I want to encourage you with this thought. We've been in the captivity of Babylon for a lot longer than four or five days. Now, some people would say you could go back to the 1920s with the flappers and the roaring 20s when all the women went and chopped off all their hair and wore slinky dresses and danced around with all the tassels and things dancing all around, right? There's a lot of drinking in the speakeasies and all those things going on. Some people would say it was the 1950s after World War II and all the men came home and there was bounty and the, and the, the country was roaring. There was the Red Scare. Remember the Red Scare with Senator McCarthy who said there was a communist behind every rock and at every level of government? I wasn't alive then. But there was bounty then, and the, the, the country just began to grow and, 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 and flourish. Many people believe that it was the 1960s when suddenly a spirit, a spirit of the world, entered, in, entered into this nation and began an internal rebellion like this nation had not ever seen before. There was a spirit of me and personal service and do what I want and free love and all of that stuff. I wasn't alive then either. I'm a result of that period, but I'm. I was born in 70, so do the math. Anyway, so um, the 60s, 
And so there was the beards and the hippie movement and then the flower thing and the flower children. Ironically, at the time, as I understand it, history says that the hippies got together with the Jesus people and they were sort of together at the time. We had a union somewhere in there. You know, maybe not in our movement, but... The point being is that it was a time of rebellion. It was a time of turning away from traditions. It was a time of thumbing your nose at the things that mom and dad taught and grandma and grandpa did, the formalities of society. There was something that we called Christendom. Christendom was this idea that culturally in society, the country recognized a godly presence, a godly presence in the country, churches and faith and the Bible. Children on Wednesdays at school, when I was a little kid, couldn't do activities on Wednesday nights because that's when you had catechism class. Is that how you say that? Catechism? Ex-Catholics? Okay. We all respected that. They had to go to their CCD, I think is what they call it. Short. Is that right? Okay. We all respected that because that was a thing that was part of their, their faith and their upbringing. And, and so you d- nowadays, that all went away, right? You never had practices for things on Sundays because the churches and the schools all recognized that was a sacred day. Now soccer practice is 9 a.m. Sunday morning, right? 11 o'clock is the second practice. What I'm saying to you is that as we rolled into the 70s, if you think movies and TV and rap music and all that stuff got nasty just recently, go back into the 1970s and listen to the lyrics of music that was played then. There they had all the satanic stuff they put on there. All the rock stars had, remember back masking where they slipped little messages in there and there was all that stuff. But just look at the albums and the, and, and, the, and the just perverse stuff that was out there and the movies. If you think movies are bad now, people tell me some of the horrific things that you can go see on a, on a PG-rated movie. Back then, they started slipping that stuff in a long time ago. The adult film industry went crazy in the 1970s. It wasn't hidden in back alleys in New York City anymore. It was right out in the open. You could buy the stuff in the store. You can go to the grocery store or, or the convenience store and pick up all that nasty stuff. And, and all of this kind of stuff going. We rolled into the 1980s. 80s and the 1980s was excess and it was the cocaine era and it was all that stuff with stocks and bonds and valley girls and, and, and all of that kind of excess, 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 excess. What I'm trying to tell you is that the United States of America has been under captivity of Babylon for decades. This is not new, it's just being exposed. It's the, the reality is coming out. You think Walter Cronkite was on the side of one side or the other? Yes, he was. You understand what I'm saying? It's all just being exposed now. We've been in captivity of Babylon for decades and we've managed to live in it. And, and I would dare say we've sampled a little, little bit of it. We've lived with a little bit of it. We've had our taste of it. Maybe not to the point of sin, hopefully, but let's be honest. We've seen people saved and coming away out of that life into the church from that stuff. You see, this isn't all brand new this shocking event that's come upon us that we're up in arms about and we're, we're, we're talking about patriot movements now. They're talking about a third party and all this kind of stuff. This isn't brand new. Brother John Matson turned me on to a book uh, just a few years ago by a man, I think it's John Bevere, Intoxicated with Babylon. Is it Bevere? I'll check it out for you. It's called Intoxicated with Babylon. I highly suggest you read that because it talks about the Christian world participating in what Babylon has to offer and what we've taken off the plate of the wicked kings over time. Innocently. Innocently. Mostly. Right? But it's affected people. It's hurt people. And Babylon has seeped into, into our very essence in some cases. So this isn't a brand new thing. Well, it's going to get a lot tougher, Brother Cordell. They're doing this and they're saying this. But you know what? 
it's still the same God. The same God that was here in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 80s and the 70s and the 90s and the 2000s is the same God that we serve right now. Nothing has changed for the church. Nothing has changed for this. Amen? Now I realize there was the women's movement, sexual revolution, secularism infiltrating the society. I realize We've watched it all and just sort of, eh, that's them and we're the church. But now it feels like we're surrounded. Now it feels like, oh my goodness, could these be the final days? Could they? Certainly. And I'm thinking to myself, as I see little stories come out, there was a story of some media guy from New York literally wrote a blog title using a profane curse word that basically said, it's those blanking Christians, they're at the heart of all of this trouble. Talking about the, the, when they attacked the Capitol and went in there and did all that kind of stuff. We're now deemed as domestic terrorists. Right? The narrative is picking up. All of this kind of stuff. You think this stuff didn't happen to Israel? Nothing new under the sun. I'm sure that there's, there's segments of these groups, this secular group, these people. I'm not naming parties. I'm not naming particular people. I'm not going to get into that game. I, I just, I'm not going to get dragged into their mud pit because nothing happens but you get muddy and you just look like one of them. You'd ever take two things, two different looking things, dunk them in a mud puddle and pull them out and they look the same, right? It's kind of like when you take a white cloth and a dirty cloth. It's got grease all over it and you rub them together. Do you have two white cloths? No, you have two greasy cloths, right? So I'm realizing that there's these segments, these, these people, these, these secularists, whatever you want to call them, are probably laughing at the fear that's striking churches across this nation because it's coming out. People are, are putting this on social media and they're freaking out and they're, they're, they're having all these panic attacks and they're just living under fear and all this bad stuff is going to happen and all these terrible things, Right? And the secularists, let's just say honestly, the people that are really influenced by the spirit of this world are laughing. They're laughing at the churches. Ha ha, we've got them now. They're threatening to take away 501c3 status. They're threatening to shut down tax exemptions. All these other things to come against the church. Okay? But I want to tell you what they don't understand. What they don't know is that we have a survival manual that's designed to get us through times of captivity. It was the word of God that pulled Israel through every single time he allowed them to be taken into captivity by Babylon or Syria or Rome or whatever the case was. And I talked about that in a message a couple of weeks ago. When Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that's not talking about the enemies surrounding us. It's talking about a cloud of witnesses, probably those that have gone on beyond us, uh, that have, are the testimony, the witnesses of being able to survive and live and serve God and find that great place of, of, of testimony and rest and power that God promises us, the promise that's waiting for us. It says, let us Lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us 
us as we run this race with patience. Now what that's basically saying is take the weight off. Don't allow these things as you are running your race for Jesus Christ to weigh you down. Don't take on the anchor of all of this political unrest and all of this worldly stuff that you see and the things that you have to look at in the grocery aisle as you're trying to check out and you got to look at the debauchery of the world when you're trying to buy your eggs and your bacon and stuff, right? Don't let the weight of that sit on you because it will slow you down in the race that we have to run with patience. Because Ecclesiastes 9.11 in a roundabout translation says, for he that is to endure to the end is not to the swift or to the strong, but he that just keeps on going, just keeps on running the race. Don't let it weight you down, it says there in Hebrews. The race is set before us. We know what our purpose is. We know what our job is. We know what the race is. And we don't have to be weighted down. And certainly, the sin which does so easily beset us. Yeah, we've got to preach sin. You know why we preach sin? Well, it's so we can condemn people and make fun of them and make them feel terrible, right? Well, that's what the, that's what the secular world would say to you. That's what the people would call us names and say things against the church and see how you condemn and attack and all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm here to say, no, we preach sin because number one, it's in the word of God to preach sin, but we preach sin because we want people to be relieved and saved from what the effects of sin does to them. When I reach out to somebody and share the word of God to them and recognize that they live in a sinful environment, a sinful life, the same one that I came out of, the same one my folks came out of, the same one that you came out of, it's not because I want to condemn somebody or hurt them or bring them down. It's because that sin is destroying them, it's hurting them, and I want to save them from that. We've got to preach sin because it's destroying people. What am I talking about? Let's, let's throw some out there. The sin of all of this excess, that, that's EX, excess, not success. The sin of excess that the world, as I said, in the 80s and the 70s and all this bounty we've had since after World War II, we have more than we could possibly ever need and we're buried in this stuff and, and we have so much technology to save us time that we're buried and we have no time for anything. But I'm telling you that we get involved with these things. There's sins that are destroying people. We know the effects of things like alcohol. Alcohol's legal. I can drink. I can drink without getting drunk. Name me a person who's ever t- partaken of that stuff that at some point didn't get drunk and hurt their bodies or hurt themselves, or drove home from that party. I've got a person in my life, I won't say who it is, has attacked me over my position on gun rights. Well, it's not my position on gun rights. There's a little document in Washington, D.C. If you go to a certain place on the mall, you can see it. It's called the Constitution of the United States of America. And I said, that's just a right given to us by the founding fathers. It's written in there specifically. But I said, you're going to call me down for gun rights when I know for a fact that you go to parties, you drink alcohol, and you get behind the wheel, and you drive home. You are risking more people's lives doing that than I ever did with the gun held in my hand. I have never in my entire life, and I own X quantity of guns. Nobody needs to know No one needs to know what that is. Never in my life have I ever pointed a weapon at another human being. I've taken down a truckload of deer. (laughs) Squirrels, rabbits, ducks. Never pointed my gun at a person. 
But that same person that was attacking me, Babylon's mentality was attacking me over my gun stance, gets in a car and drives home and potentially takes the lives of fathers and mothers and children. You understand my point? Sorry, I don't mean to get off on a rant there. Where'd that come from? I'm going to move on. We've got to preach sin because it's destroying people. It's what separates us from God. It's what's going to keep people from a promised heaven. That great cloud of witnesses that's already experienced it, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're sharing. Verse 3 goes on to say this. It says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. It's talking about Jesus. He endured. He took on all the sin of the world. Imagine that. Imagine when you sin and you fall and you do something bad and how greasy and gross and awful you feel when you've made a bad mistake, you've done something awful. He took that for every single human being that ever existed and will exist on himself. But it says, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Oh my goodness, I have to endure this time. I have to endure what I'm going through here because our world has changed and it's not favorable to the church. We're in Babylon, we're in captivity. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. You know what that's saying? He hung on that cross and endured every sin that you could possibly imagine, sins that most of you never committed. He took them on. He was without sin. And he gave his blood, striving against sin. How many of you have done that? How many of you have lopped off an arm or scourged yourself or wore a crown of thorns or drove nails through your hands or your feet to strive against the sin besetting you? You see, he's basically saying, we just have to endure. Stay focused. Verse 5 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now, I'm not going to begin to tell you that what's going on in the change of our society right now is a punishment from God. I said, we've been in captivity for decades. But God will allow us to be chastened. What do you suppose would happen? I'm going to get just a teensy political. What do you suppose would happen? All these people that were all fired up and protesting and doing all this kind of stuff. What do you suppose would have happened had it gone their way or our way or however you want to say it, and the other guy would have got back in there. Some new revolution of proper behavior and suddenly Christendom would have popped back in the United States and people would go at 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. Wednesday night. No. You know what would have happened? We would have went right back to our comforts. We went right back to our low Thought process, our, our easygoing times. All of those people outside the church that are just, you know, rah, 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 patriots, the United States of America, and all that stuff, they would have just went back home and gotten their boats and their cars and spent their money and done their fun. And You see what I'm saying? You understand what's happening in this country right now? Is that what God is doing is he's doing a movement that's for the church. That's why I told you two weeks ago, now is the hour of the church. You understand, if everything would have just went our way, we just would have went right back to the same old thing. God was clearly not pleased with the direction that things were going, in my opinion now. So don't forget the exhortation, the teaching that speaks to you that you're children of God. 
You're just not people that go to church and you serve God and you're one of his servants or the broom closet person or you are a child of God. And so he's going to chasten. He's going to challenge. He's going to correct. He's, and, and he's going to try to change some things in us. That's a good thing. You understand, right? That's a good thing. It says, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Sometimes God's got to rebuke us. Sometimes God's got to say, you've been a little bit too wrapped up in Babylon's plate. You kind of spend a little too much time at that table. Okay, doesn't mean you were horrible sinners and doing terrible things, but there is neutral, right? But now I'd, li- I'd like you to take a little bit time away from that table because I got some things for you to do. Because here we go. Here's the mission, right? Look at what Proverbs 3 and 11, this is what the Hebrews writer, I believe it's Paul still, by the way, I know people fight me on that. But the Hebrews writer was quoting Proverbs 3 and 11, which says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. You understand? It's because he loves us. It's because he loves his people and doesn't want to see us lulled into sleep and soaked up in all the goodies of Babylon and then just slowly drift away. You see, the book of James tells us that first we are drawn away and then comes in lust, right? What is lust? Is it all amorous? And No, it's fulfilling the flesh. It's just doing things we enjoy. It's, it's just living to serve this. But first, we're drawn away. Then lust, then sin, and then death, right? Sometimes God's got to correct us. He's got to stop us from being drawn away. And there were so many people I was so concerned about here and other places that were being drawn away, you know? Do you know that Oscar Wilde once said that patriotism is a virtue of the vicious? I said it wasn't a fruit of the Spirit. It's a virtue, and it's wonderful, and we should stand for our country. Anybody believe that in 22 there's going to be fair elections and they're going to take the House and the Senate back? Anybody believe that? It's going to take a lot for me to believe it, but I don't care. Because by 22, we might see these seats filled. Amen? All right. God sees you as his very own, his very own child. That's a wonderful statement that the word makes for us. Verse 6 goes on to say, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be chased, without chaste, chastisement, excuse me, whereof are all partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Sorry for the word if that offends. It's a Bible word. It simply means you don't have a father. He's really emphasizing the fact that you are his child. You are not of this world. You are not of Babylon. You are his child. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Of course. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? If you're going to reverence your earthly father because they, you know, hey, dad, you know, when I was a kid, I know, you know, once in a while I got a pretty good wallet, but I realize now, 
you were sending me the right way. Kyle, you say that, right? He knows. He lived. But how much more are we going to give that reverence to Jesus so that we can live, really live, eternally? Verse 10, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Listen to the promise of this correcting and chastening that we get in verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. I think we can all agree with that. I'm not really thrilled about what's going on, right? But doesn't seem to be joyous, but listen. But grievous, yes. I know there's people grieving. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. What a wonderful process. Promise, excuse me. Peace. You see, through all the storm and all the chaos, we haven't even begun to see yet. We haven't even begun, they haven't scratched the surface yet before God returns, but the peace will come. I still believe and I stand on this point the church is going to be the shelter in the storm. We're going to be the island. We're going to be the ark sitting here as people come and say, okay, let us in. Okay, we get it. It's getting deep out here. Can we come in now? You watch and see. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I'm telling you, God is telling us the church is going to be the ark. They're coming. And they need you. They need you away from the table of Babylon, focused on the mission that God has given you. They need you to love them. They need you to embrace them and share the word of God with them. And yes, tell them there's something called sin and it's hurting them and it's destroying them. And we're not judging and God's not judging. We just want to get rid of it. And how do we do that? Repentance, remission of sins, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of his spirit. That's three-piece, three-piece thing, right? Just a simple three-stepper that we can share in the word, right? When I was here on Wednesday night, I do this with the men's cleanup thing, right? When we always had the men's cleanup things. I recognize, I did this for the auction too. I recognize that people want to help, but if it's really big and complicated and they go overboard, it's just too much and they don't, they don't come. And so I learned a long time ago that if I take one little title and I compartmentalize three bullet points and say, okay, who wants to do this job? People will jump at it. As long as everybody knows that I have this little area and this one particular job to do and these three steps, I'll go like crazy. We saw that here Wednesday night. I had the mission sheets out on the Welcome Center. Five missions, right? Everybody said, oh, I can do that, I can do that. I mean, before I said anything, shoom, they're all gone. The church is full of chairs and the things, it's all done. You know, we did that whole thing in two hours. Two hours. Wasn't that beautiful? You guys are wonderful. I serve the greatest church ever. I mean that. But three little compartmentalized jobs. Auction night, right? Table captain, Brother Matucci. Three functions, that's it. Check out people. Three functions. That's it. Pretty simple, right? Guess where I stole that from? Acts chapter 2. Three little functions. Here's the instructions following in verse 12. It says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. How about that? There's other translations that talk about the weakened hands hanging low. Get your hands up in the air. 
When it's time to worship, it's time to worship. I said it when I started how this morning. They're getting louder and louder and louder. And if you keep tuning in to the alphabet media, you know, it's all you're going to hear is blah, 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 blah. I know there's a lot of people fasting media in other churches right now. I have no idea what anybody's saying about what. I don't know what anybody's doing on Capitol Hill. I don't care. I don't want my soul poisoned and my conscience burned and tore up by all that garbage. They're not going to speak loudly in my world. I'm going to pray louder, speak louder, preach louder, talk louder, encourage louder, lift people up louder, and talk about the things of God louder than the enemy can speak them into my ear. Some people are quiet. I get that. I pick at you guys a little bit about that, but... I understand some people just have a quiet demeanor. And about, you know, it says, what's the song say? Some will stand in his presence, some will leap, some will bow down, quietly weep to themselves as they're in the presence of God when they've been saved. That's okay, but I want to be louder. Now listen to verse 13 and 14. It says, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame, that which is lame be turned out of the way but let it rather be healed. And what that simply means is, is we've got to keep our direction solid. Straight is the gate that we have to attend. You understand that, right? Narrow is the path. Make your feet and your pathway straight. Don't wander off. Just try not to wander off. Get on the mission. Get at what you're supposed to be doing and don't wander off into what Babylon is offering you. Get on the mission. Verse 14, follow peace. Now this is a scripture. Verse 14, by the way, is a scripture that is misquoted or subquoted all the time. Everybody else says, without holiness, no man can see God. Without holiness, no man can see God. But listen to what it actually says, patriots. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. We need to follow peace. God has not called us to arms, not called us to activity or violence. God has called us to peace, to live peaceably with men and express holiness. When it says that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord, it means that we won't see him, but it also means that he won't be reflected to other people in us. You know when all of that went south? Oh, don't, talk, don't preach holiness, pastor. That's in, you know, sin's bad enough that you're going to preach that. Now you're going to preach holiness. Listen. I want to tell you, there was a time in this country where ladies dressed a certain way, kept themselves a certain way, men dressed a certain way, kept ourselves right and proper. It was the 50s and the 60s and the rebellion that said it's okay to let stuff hang out. It's okay to let this shine. It's okay to be a stumbling block to men who see things and lust over that because that's how we operate. And I'll just go ahead and be a stumbling block because it's more about how I feel about myself and how I want to look. And I want to be pretty for the world because I can't adjust to that God created me this way. I've got to alter it and change it. Does this pre disqualify anybody from attending church if you, if you struggle with some of these things? No. You should be here. Same thing with tithing. I say it all the time. If you don't tithe, that doesn't mean you're disqualified. You can't come here. You should be here. You should learn the powerful bounty and biblical principle of what it is to give to God of your first fruits. It's part of your worship. It's part of your relationship with God. Do you understand? We're moving into an era when we need to reclaim 
our purpose. We need to revive and we need to renew what it is that God intended in his word. Well, I don't like that part of the Bible, Pastor. That's okay. You're welcome here. You won't be excluded. But you need to hear. Because following peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God is apparently important enough that God inspired it into his word. Look at verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby may many be defiled. And it's so easy when we wrestle against word of God in our own desires, our own way that we think things should be. That's how roots of bitterness get planted. You know that? When you start to conflict with your idea of what the word says and how it says it, Versus what it actually says or what God intended in his word. There are no translations, there are no interpretations. It is his word, the word is the word. Where we start conflicting with that, where we start wanting to plug a little bit into Babylon. Well, I like what Babylon offers in some of their clothing lines. I like what Babylon offers on their television programs. I can turn, I can turn away when the bad stuff comes. Come on now. Anybody want to go to heaven? Verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. You see, when it says one morsel of meat sold at his birthright, that morsel of meat is talking about taking things from the table of Babylon. That's the imagery there. That's the symbolism. Now Esau did it literally to eat but we've got to watch. See, the birthright that we have is we belong to God. We don't belong to Babylon. Verse 17, for you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Esau never found a place of, re- of repentance, and he lost his inheritance. See, we could, we could seek repentance with tears, but unless we truly, honestly, remove ourselves from that sin. We truly honestly find that holiness with God. We truly honestly follow his word. We can seek it and say that we're repenting. But if we just go back to Babylon, we're gonna lose our inheritance. Verse 18, for you're not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor into the blackness and darkness and tempest. You are coming to the mount, which is God himself, God's presence, his church. Now's the time to be careful of sin, my friends. Keeping ourselves holy and living in repentance. We can't be afraid to preach sin because it's sin that destroys, as I said before. It will doom people to being lost. Paul teaches, that the, teaches the Romans that while all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that doesn't jive with the secular world today. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That was our nature. That is what happened from the garden forward. It also says that the law does not save us. You know what that means? It means just being a good person, just following rules doesn't save us either. It's a matter of heart as well. That's what the previous scripture was talking about. We can't conflict between the two. Our heart has to be invested in it. We have to be doing it to please God. You understand? He says also that the wages of sin is death. That's spiritual and eternal death. We have to recognize that. 
Isaiah 59 teaches us that sin separates us from God. It's why we teach it. So we don't separate ourselves from God and see other people do the same. Hebrews chapter 12, now we're going to jump down to verse 28 and 29. It says, wherefore, we, re- we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. Isn't that interesting, Angela? We sang that song today. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Everybody wants to say, oh, God's love. He accepts everybody, accepts everything. He loves everything. He does. God loves the world. So much so that he manifests himself here for the purpose of redeeming us back to him. But if we reject it, he's a consuming fire. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So in other words, it's not just a matter of being sorry. You ever hear that people say that? Sorry doesn't do it. It's changing. It's that about face. It's really committing to doing what God has expected us to do. If we can effectively defeat sin in our lives, of course, we slip and we fall. You know, your pastor slips once in a while. I'm a human being. You're a human being. But if we work effectively to defeat sin in our lives, a life of repentance and, and really strive to his principles, God will carry us through this crazy time that we're experiencing right now. You understand? See, I'm drawing this conclusion that right now, at this pivotal moment in the church's history, the draw for you to just give in is gonna come so strong and it's gonna sneak up on you. Partake of Babylon, do what they want. Give in on your standard, give in on who you are, right? The pressure's gonna be there and I'm preparing the church to understand you've got to stand strong in the face of Babylon and be who you are and who God has called you to be. Look as we continue the next chapter of Hebrews, a formula for spiritual survival during a time of chastening in captivity. Hebrews 13. And I'm going to be closing with this. Hebrews 13, starting at verse 1, says, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. In other words, recognize that people struggle with things, they're going to struggle, things you defeated, things that you don't struggle with any longer. But we need to look outwardly. What is this talking about? It's talking about giving of ourselves. Verse 4, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and listen to this, be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Some people fear that things are going to get real tight and real tough. Taxes are going to start going up. Gasoline's going to be five bucks a gallon here not too long. Food costs are going to go up. If a second virus thing comes around, it could shut down shipping and food sources and all. All that stuff's floating around, all of that fear. Verse six, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have rule over you who have spoken unto the, this is going to sound very self-serving because I'm preaching it, but it's the word of God. Listen to what he says. Who have spoken unto you the word of God whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. 
If I'm up here preaching it, if Brother Kylie's up here preaching it, if one of our teachers is up here preaching it, the man of God is giving you the word. They've got rule over you in terms of the spiritual aspect. Listen to what their conversation and consider the end of that conversation. In other words, what comes from what we preach and what we're saying? What is the bounty, the blessing, and the protection that's built therein? Verse eight, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Don't get sucked into what the world wants to define as true doctrine and acceptable religion either. Verse nine says, be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. There's gonna be a lot of pressure on the church and there is pressure on the church now to change what we stand for, to modify what we believe. Let's ease off a little bit. More people will accept the word if we do that. Let's lower our standards just a little bit uh, because there's some, some lifestyle things out there that they're okay with God. We just had it all wrong all these years. No, we're gonna stand for what the word of God says love every single soul and share with them the word of God as best we possibly can. But we're not gonna allow divers and strange doctrines to creep into the church and change the preaching of the word of God in truth as God defined it. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Essentially simply means the heart is established with grace. In other words, you're not doing it because of things that you do and offer and give, especially it is still grace that saves us, as it says in Ephesians 2 and 9. Verse 15, jump down there. It says, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Our first fruits, just like in scripture, should be our praise, the sacrifice of our praise. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Look at verse 17. Oh, they, oh, again, in the same passage, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give account. You understand that preachers and pastors and ministers of the word of God are doubly responsible. We will stand before God and we will give account of what we allowed preach from our pulpits, what we allowed people to believe and understand when we knew what's potentially wrong or harmful. I have an account for that. Pastor Kylie has an account for that. Listen to the pastors and the ministers God has placed above you, over you, as it says in the word. I don't think that's a literal lineage. It means with you. That they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. We have the manual of survival to live in Babylon. Babylon. Babylon's gonna get a little tougher, it appears. Maybe it is and maybe it's not. We don't know. Maybe things turn around as some people are hoping in 22. I don't care. What difference is it gonna make in the long run? Are they preaching the word of God? Are they leading people to salvation? Maybe opening a few doors for us. Doors that God can open when he wants to. Right? You can stand with me this morning. So what else can we do as an operational plan? This talked about unity. It talked about communication. It talked about avoiding sin. talked about uh, uh, helping others and reaching out to other people. Maybe you see people struggling, struggling with things that you used to struggle with rather than judge them or look down on them, reach out to them and love them, right? But you know, I hear this often and so I'm gonna go a little non-Bible for the moment just for a second. I hear this quite a bit lately. Well, what are we gonna do? What can we do? What can we do about this? 
Well, certainly rushing Washington, D.C. and breaking into the Capitol didn't work out real well for us. Because now we're all domestic terrorists. Now we're all labeled. Okay, that was on the, that was in the underneath anyway. They were just waiting for an opportunity to use it. But I will say this to you. Speak the word. Learn it. Teach it. Pick up a Bible study. If you're not in one, Brother Kylie always says, if you're not in one or teaching one, get in one. Reach out and say, somebody teach me how to teach one. Speak the word of God. Look for ways and opportunities to speak louder than the enemy. Reach out to people that are struggling. You don't have to preach to people when they're struggling. You don't have to just lay the word on them. You can just reach out a helping hand. You know what I used to do most often when I would reach out to people struggling? I worked with, I'd see people having a hard time. All I would simply say is, well, you know, I'm a person of faith. And my faith carries me through these times. Can I share a couple things with you that God's done for me? I never ever got a no ever so we can begin to be loud and bold get the word on your lips what are some other things we can do how about where we spend our money Clark Howard puts out a list of companies that are making American made products where do we spend our money with places that are ungodly and hate the church? Look in the media, if those of you are mediophiles and you see these types of things. Maybe we shouldn't put our money there. Maybe we shouldn't put our efforts there. Maybe we shouldn't spend our time in those locations and those places that clearly hate the church and speak out against Christendom, speak out against the word of God. Social media, I don't know if I even need to go there. Find an alternative, find another place. Don't give them what they want. This Babylon, by the way, you understand, is primarily fueled, besides the spirit of the world, money. Where you spend your money is where your values are. By the way, congratulations, church, on 2020 in terms of the amount of giving that has happened in the body in this building. The number of missionaries that were blessed. Do you know our CFC offering, Christmas for Christ for North American missionaries, topped $16,000. That's double what we did last year. Praise God. God is blessing us and he's blessing you. As we give outwardly, he's going to continue to bless us inwardly. Spend your money in the right places. Create a church economy, a barter system. Get a hold of each other. Who needs things? Uh, Brother and Sister Matucci mentioned to me the other day they got a beautiful electric stove. They're trying to give away a very, very nice microwave. They're going to sell super cheap. Asked me to get it out. I apologize. I forgot to put the message out. But you know what? That's where it begins. What can we do to help somebody else who's in need? Let's create a barter system, a church economy where we buy together with one another understand each other's needs be vulnerable to one another and say this is the need that I have I'm hurting pastor I'm hurting friend what can we do to gather together get a hold of these prayer meetings on Monday nights and Friday nights you want to know what to do get on your knees and pray learn how to walk into a prayer meeting on a Monday night and open your mouth and pray in the spirit powerfully effectively and fervently for the world that surrounds you and the people that desperately need God that's what we can begin to do forget about fighting the patriot fight Forget about all that secular stuff. Don't get sucked into Babylon. Be about the church business. Christian businesses, help them. Find out who needs additional services. American-made products. Maybe we form a co-op. Grow vegetables in your garden. Can things. Hand them out amongst one another. I've had conversations with people already who said that they would be willing. 
How about skilled help? Share your knowledge. Look for the ladies in the church, the, the, the widows that the Bible says to take care of, the folks that are a little bit older, maybe not as capable of doing things. Bind together as a church and become a powerful, unified force in our community. Our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. And those weapons include love and sharing and giving and holding one another and being strong and unified. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.